I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Every Catholic should know the three key aspects of the Eucharist. Do you know the three key aspects of the Eucharist? That's what we've been looking at in this little mini-series, this three-part series on the Eucharist. Last week, we considered the Eucharist as sacrifice. Next week, we're going to be considering the Eucharist as Holy Communion. But in this episode, we're going to turn to the one aspect of the Eucharist that ties it all together, and it's the Eucharist as real presence, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. But have you ever tried to explain this to someone, especially if they're coming from a non-Catholic background, or maybe even if they're not even Christian? How do you talk about the real presence of the Eucharist? I mean, uh, someone comes to Mass, and you're trying to explain what this is all about, and how do you explain that what was once bread and wine is now changed into the body and blood of Jesus? And you can picture your, your atheist friend or your Protestant friend saying, well, it still looks like bread. That looks like a little piece of bread there, a little wafer, and that still looks like wine. It tastes like wine. It smells like wine. And you're telling me that's Jesus's blood? How how do we explain the mystery of the Eucharist? Another thing I think we can get at here is, well, how do you explain the real presence and what makes it so unique? I mean, isn't God present in so many ways? Doesn't Jesus himself say he's present whenever two or three gather in his name? So how is the Eucharist different? Or don't we say that God is everywhere. I mean, he's God, right? Isn't he present in this room? He's present in your car as you're listening to this. He's present in your backyard. He's present on top of a mountain. Isn't God present everywhere? So what's the big deal about the Eucharist? In what sense is that presence different? I think these are fair questions, uh, but the Catholic Church provides some great answers. Let's walk through this a little bit here. First of all, if you want to go and read about this, you can go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 1373-1374. This is what the Church teaches. It teaches that Jesus is present to us in many ways. He's present to us in uh, the poor. He says, what you do to the least of these brethren of mine, you, you do unto me. And he's talking about the poor, the sick, the lonely, the suffering, the prisoner. And so he's present in those who are suffering in a special way. I mentioned that Jesus is present everywhere. He's God. And and what sense is he present? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas explains that God is present through his power everywhere, holding everything in existence. He's present by virtue of his power. His presence is there holding everything in existence. Uh, he's present in a special way in the poor. He's present in a special way in his holy words and sacred scripture that he inspires. God is present to us in the sacraments and confession and baptism when the spirit comes and enters into us. But he is uniquely present. Jesus is uniquely present in the Eucharist. And this is how. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, we believe that at the words of consecration at the Mass, the bread and the wine that are on the altar are actually changed. They are really changed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The technical term the church has used throughout the centuries to describe this is transubstantiation. The substance of the bread and wine is changed now into the body and blood of Jesus. But I want to be really clear about this. 
This is not a chemical change. This is not a chemical change. If you were to take the Eucharist and put it under a microscope, you're you're not going to see a bunch of Jesus cells floating around there. You're not going to say, oh, there's a divine kidney and there's some supernatural hemoglobin. No, you're going to see all of the chemical structures of bread and all the chemical structures of wine. It's still going to look like wine and taste like wine and feel like wine. It's going to look and taste and feel like bread, and it's going to have all of those sensible appearances and all the chemical structures of bread and wine. But as the church is always taught, underneath those sensible outward appearances is the real presence of Jesus Christ, his very body, blood, soul, and divinity. This is really Jesus. In fact, so much so we could say that the when you ask a question like, what is the Eucharist? You could respond by saying, well, the better question is, who is the Eucharist? The Eucharist isn't just a what, it's a who. It's Jesus Christ, his very body and blood underneath the appearances of bread and wine. All those outward appearances remain the same, but underneath those appearances is his very body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, is there any evidence of this in the in the, in the the scriptures where we see Jesus talking about this? Of course. There's a lot of places where we see this, most notably at the Last Supper when he takes bread and he says, this is my body. And then he holds up the cup of wine and he says, this is my blood. So he's talking about his very body and blood. But how do we know Jesus isn't speaking just figuratively? That's what some Christians say. In fact, many Protestant of our Protestant brothers and sisters, when they uh, talk about the Eucharist, they think about the Eucharist, they think of it as more of a spiritual presence or maybe just a, a symbolic presence or it's just a remembrance of Jesus's body and blood. Most Protestant Christians don't believe it's that actual change of the bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ. And they'll say that, well, at the Last Supper, Jesus was just speaking figuratively. You know, he does this all the time. He says, I'm a good shepherd. We're not meant to think that he really has physical sheep that he looks after. He also said, I am the gate or I am the door. We're not supposed to think that Jesus is a uh, is a wooden entryway and we knock on his face. No, no, he doesn't really mean that he's a door. He uses metaphor all the time. And that when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, he's just speaking figuratively. We're just supposed to feed our minds on his teaching or, you know, feed our souls with his wisdom and his example. Uh, he's not talking about really eating of his even eating of his body and drinking of his blood. Uh, I would I would want to turn to another passage though that makes it abundantly clear that Jesus really is talking about his very body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Eucharist. And this passage is so crucial. I bet many of you have heard this passage before, but are you able to think about this and talk about this with your friends with confidence? Could you actually explain this to them? The passage I'm talking about is in John's Gospel, chapter 6. It's known as the Bread of Life Discourse. And here we're going to see it's very clear that Jesus really is talking about partaking of his body and blood. He's not speaking in a figurative way. Let me give you the context here. Uh, In John's gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, Jesus has just performed his greatest miracle uh, to date in John's gospel, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. So 5,000 people are, are... are fed that day in this wonderful miracle, and they're so excited that over this miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fish. They they say in John 6, 14, this is the great prophet who is to come. So they perceive him as a great prophet, and then they, in verse 15, they say, we're going to make him king. And so this is like the highest point of Jesus's public ministry. He's got the people so excited about him, and he's got them in the palm of his hands. This is the height of his popularity. 
But what we're going to see is that Jesus, the very next day here in John 6, is going to say something that sends his public approval ratings plummeting. He's going to say some things that will make these crowds who yesterday loved him now really hate him and despise him. And and even his own disciples are going to be so upset. Many of his own disciples are going to walk away from him and reject him. What is it that Jesus talks about in John chapter 6? He talks about the gift of himself, his real presence in the Eucharist. And, and, And many people weren't able to take it back then. And sometimes there's people today that also can't take this teaching. But let's turn to our Lord himself. What does he say? In John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, when the Jews hear this, the the crowds hear this, they murmur at him. They're upset with him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. It says in John 6, verse 41. I think that's interesting. You see, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the people listening to him, they interpret his words literalistically. They interpret him as thinking that he's he's really bread. And, and they don't like this. They're wondering, how could he say he's his bread come down from heaven? They don't interpret him figuratively, metaphorically. They, they take him at face value thinking, wow, how, how could he really say he's bread? And notice what Jesus does. You know, sometimes when his disciples or people listening to him don't understand what he's saying, he'll clarify. He'll, 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 he'll explain what he's doing. But in this case, Jesus doesn't back up the bus and say, oh, wait, I'm sorry. You misunderstood. I'm just speaking figuratively here. I'm just using a metaphor. You don't have to really view me as bread of life. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just speaking metaphorically here. No, listen to what he says. He goes on. He gets even more intense. In John 6, verse 47, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Notice the language here. It's pretty strong. He he doesn't get more esoteric or more figurative or more metaphoric. He's getting more graphic. He's saying, I'm this living bread and you must eat of this bread. If you eat of this bread, you'll live forever. And then listen to what he says in verse 51. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoa, that's intense. Jesus is not backing up and softening things and saying, oh, I'm just speaking figuratively here. No, he he gets more graphic. He says, this bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And at this, notice how the Jews respond. The Jews are really upset. In verse 52, they disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? In other words, they interpret Jesus's words uh, literalistically, that Jesus really wants us to eat of his flesh in some sense. Uh, and, and they're upset about this. And notice once again, Jesus doesn't say, oh, wait, you misunderstood. Let me clarify. No, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats is my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Him. 
That's in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. He's very strong here, isn't he? In fact, what's, what's fascinating is the language Jesus uses. In verse, uh, in the, up until this point, when Jesus was talking about eating of his body, eating of his flesh, eating this bread, he used a word in Greek, phagate, which generally means to eat, but in some cases, it could be used in a figurative sense. It could be used to mean like to, to nourish your mind, to feed your soul. It could be used in a figurative way. But when you get to verse 54, Jesus changes the word here to be almost like in your face and be really strong in his, in his language. He says, you must eat my flesh in the sense of, uh, it's the Greek word trogon, which means to, new, to, 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 to chew or to gnaw. Uh, it, it's, it's Jesus speaking very graphically here, a word that would not be used in, in a symbolic way, but to really chew upon, to, to eat upon this, this actual body, this actual flesh of his. At this Many of Jesus' own disciples, when they hear this, just, they're, they're upset. They say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. His own disciples, these are people who have been following him. They've been following him for a long time, and, and now they're, they're going to walk away from Jesus over his teaching on the Eucharist. And notice what Jesus does. He doesn't go track them down and say, oh, wait, my disciples, you've misunderstood me. Let me clarify. I'm not really talking about eating my body here. I'm just speaking figuratively. That's not what Jesus does. He lets them go. The disciples understood Jesus very clearly, and many of them walked away. They couldn't take his teaching over the Eucharist, and Jesus let them go. That's how important his teaching on the Eucharist is. It's so central. He's not going to compromise because he wants to give us such a great gift. He loves us so much. He wants to remain present to us. He wants to remain close to us. He wants to be near us. That's why in all the tabernacles throughout the world, throughout the 2,000 years of Christianity, Jesus has been present at the Mass. And then as churches eventually were built and tabernacles eventually were constructed, for all these hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have been able to draw near to Jesus' presence. It's just so beautiful. You know, this morning uh, I was able to just stop by the church and take one of my kids in a Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's almost like I can take one of my kids in a time machine and bring them back to the land of, Ju of Judea or the land of Galilee and, get, and, and, and bring them in close contact with Jesus because the same Jesus who walked the streets of Galilee and walked the streets of Jerusalem, that same Jesus is present to us in the Eucharist. And that presence is made manifest to us, certainly at every Mass, but His presence remains with us in the tabernacle. And that's why it's such a wonderful thing if we can go and make it a priority to stop by the chapel. Do you make it a priority to try to go and see Jesus every day? Maybe even if it's just a few minutes on your way to work, on your way home from work, maybe it's a five minutes out of your way, but can you stop by and Visit Jesus. He's waiting for you. He loves you. That's why he's he's, he's so present to us. He, he, because love wants to be near the one it loves. And Jesus is love incarnate. And he wants to remain present to us. That's why he gave us this gift of himself in the Eucharist. Will we take advantage of this? Will we go and meet the one who loves us so much? 
Let's make it a wonderful priority. This is why it was so important to Jesus. He wasn't going to compromise his teaching because he loves us so much and he wants to give us this gift of himself. He wants to be close to us to the end of time. Uh, and so he lets these disciples go. And one little last thing here that I think is it's kind of a little funny moment here. Um, I think it might be Simon Peter's most shining moment in the Gospels here. Uh as Jesus lets all these disciples walk away from him, he turns to the twelve, his most inner circle, and he says to them in verse 67, will you also go away? In other words, he's saying, are, are you going to leave me too? Because I'm serious about this gift. I love humanity so much. I want to be present to it. I want to remain present. I want to remain present in my body and blood through all the ages. Are you going to go away too? And notice what Peter says. Peter says, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, Peter doesn't respond and say, Oh, I understand, Jesus. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about transubstantiation. This makes perfect sense to me. Uh, no, Peter is completely confused. He is, is unsure of what this is all about. He's wondering, what does this mean? He, he's like the other disciples who didn't fully understand what is he talking about, eating of his flesh and drinking his blood. What does he mean? But the difference between Peter and the rest of the disciples that walked away is that Peter has learned to trust Jesus. That even though this isn't clear, he doesn't quite understand it all, he has come to know that Jesus has the words of eternal life and he's the Holy One of God. And so he's basically saying, Jesus, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I love you and I trust you. And, and, and I'm not walking away from this, even though I can't see it clearly. Uh, that's the great attitude we should have. Whenever there's something related to the Catholic faith, maybe it's the Eucharist, maybe it's a teaching about Mary and her immaculate conception, maybe it's about purgatory, maybe it's a moral teaching about why the church teaches about the priority of giving special care and love for the poor, or maybe it's a, the church's teaching on, on marriage is between a man and a woman, and you're not sure, well, shouldn't people be able to define marriage however they want? Whatever the teaching might be that you might struggle with, trust Jesus. And tell them, say, Jesus, I don't get this teaching. I don't understand it. I don't know why this is a big deal or what this is all about. But like Peter, I, I've come to believe you are the Holy Son of God. And I trust you. Help me to see, Lord. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> that is true faith. That's the faith of a true disciple like Peter uh, and, and the many other apostles that did stay with him. So this is a wonderful, great gift that Jesus has given to us. Let's take advantage of this gift. Let's respond with thanksgiving. In fact, that's what the word Eucharist means, thanksgiving. Let's make it a priority to go see Jesus, to visit him, to love him as he's waiting for us in all the tabernacles of the world, even until the end of time. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other people. Uh, and if you have any questions about the Catholic faith or about this particular topic, please reach out to me anytime on my website, edwards3.com. And you can always reach me on Facebook and Twitter. God bless. God bless.